Trials that he brought you say 
Aren't you glad for the rock that is higher than I? Oh, thank you, choir. Beautiful job. Want to teach you a simple little song. I said that to the choir earlier, and they already knew it. So you may already know it, too. It's called, Oh, the Blood of Jesus. And it simply says, Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes white as snow. All right? Let's stand together, and we'll sing this great old song. Jesus, for the cleansing power. Are you washed in the blood? 
job of participating and singing. And uh, Brother Richard Hamlin, pastor of Sharon Baptist Church, Benton, Arkansas, has been our evangelist and speaker the last two evenings. Now again, the third night, we'll wrap up as far as the services go tomorrow morning. And uh, just a quick note that uh, tomorrow night will be our uh, Philippine presentation. So we'll have that. And then after Easter, uh, which would be two weeks from tomorrow night, will be our Belize team presentation. So uh, just a couple of quick things to remind you of. And so I ask, and I know Brother Richard wants you to pray for him, continue to lift him up in prayer for each other. There are many people today, or tonight, excuse me, that are in need of revival, maybe hurting. They may not be here. Maybe you may be, have you ever thought of this? The intercessor that somebody needs. You know what that is? What's an intercessor? All it means is, is somebody is praying for you, kind of like a go-between. You're praying for them. In other words, you can touch heaven on behalf of somebody else. That simple. Touch heaven on behalf of someone else. They may not even be aware of it. That's fine. Pray for revival. Pray for Brother Richard. Brother Richard, after the next song, come preach to us. garden where he prayed. They led him down the streets in shame. They spat upon the Savior so pure and free from sin. They said, crucify him. He's to
thank you, Brother Mark, and all of you, and I'll join with your pastor for expressing my own appreciation. My, we've had a wonderful time of fellowship, some great, great food, and I know uh, that a lot of work has gone into this. So what are you all doing Saturday night? <laughs> uh, it is Saturday night, isn't it? Am I thinking? Aren't <laughs> Kind of lose track of days, kind of like being in the hospital. I'm in revival. I don't know what day it is, but it's time to preach, and I'm ready. I am ready, and uh, I want to invite your attention to James chapter 4 tonight. James chapter 4. <clears throat> a number of years ago, I was fascinated by the subject of revival. I had learned that there were some great, great revival meetings that happened in the last century, the 1900s, early part of the 1930s, 1920s, 1940s. Uh, I learned that because almost every church that I went to, I would see pictures around of all the folks. Some preacher standing down there had 30 or 40 people down there who was going to be baptizing. Some of you remember those times. It wasn't just what went on here. It wasn't just around in Arkansas, South Arkansas, or even North Louisiana. It happened nationwide. In fact, it probably was the last great period of revival uh, that this country has experienced. It came, I don't think coincidentally, of course, on the heels of what we call the Great Depression. I believe God got this country's attention, and they responded in a time of revival. But I began to look back at some of the other great periods of revival, and there were a number of them, and I was uh, uh, thrilled to discover a fellow named Billy Sunday. If you've never read anything much about Billy Sunday, he was a professional baseball player, uh, he got saved and uh, became a preacher, a great evangelist. Somebody asked Billy Sunday one time, they said, Billy Sunday, why do y'all keep having revivals? They don't last, they don't last. And he answered, why do you keep taking baths? <laughs> I want to build on that tonight as we talk about a message I call Drawing Near Unto God. James chapter 4, verse 7, Therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 64, very famous passage, spoke of how that our righteousnesses, the things that we think would qualify us to stand right before God, our righteousnesses. Plural, not our righteousness, but our righteousnesses, the good things about us, our righteous acts, righteous deeds. In Isaiah chapter 64, though, he said, we are all as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And you have hid, as it were, your face from us. He describes us, and I've realized there's been a lot of fanciful interpretations made of Isaiah chapter 64, and we've been told all sorts of things about these filthy rags, but really we just need to look at it for what it says and leave it alone. He tells us that we are unclean. He tells us that we're filthy. Now, that makes sense. 
That makes sense. We understand that. What's that mean? How bad are we? So bad that the Lord has turned his face away from us. There's something deceitful about that because we thought we were okay. We thought we were righteous. We thought everything was fine between me and God. And yet God's perception, God's evaluation of us sees us as filthy and unclean. Even though we think that we are righteous, we're fine. But God sees us as filthy. Now, against that backdrop, James chapter 4 makes sense because he is calling on us to draw near unto God and to cleanse ourselves as we do so because that makes sense. Now, I know that every guy, certainly, I can't speak for anybody but guys, uh, but I know that when guys get out and we play or we work in the hot and the heat, we get dirty and filthy and sweaty and we stink. I mean, that, that's all it is. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of John Wayne movies. I, I'm an unashamed fan. I, I love every movie John Wayne I guess ever made. I've, I've, I guess I've watched them all. Now, I watch the cleaned up versions on TV. You all know that. But anyway, it is kind of funny. I love the cowboy scene where uh, they hired a new cook. And he walked in there and he walked in the bunkhouse for the first time. And he says, it smells a boy in here. <laughs> I tell you, I've raised three boys. I know what it's like. It just kind of soaks into the carpet. I don't know. It just, we carry it around with us. We all know what it's like. We've been out working. We think we're okay. <laughs> hey, honey. <laughs> Come here, give me a hug. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. No, you go clean up. Go clean up. Don't, don't think you're going to draw near to me. Don't come up here and try to cuddle up to me in the shape you're in. Isaiah describes us as being filthy, unclean. To the point that God would hide His face, turn away from us. James describes us as drawing near to God. And what an incredible promise that is. You draw near to God and God will draw near to you. But as you do this, as you draw near to God, there's some cleansing, some things that need to be taken care of. Now, all of a sudden, this makes sense. Now, there's a couple of different ways we can approach this tonight. We could approach it from the standpoint of those who are lost. And certainly the great invitation that Isaiah the prophet gave to us in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, when he said, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Certainly that applies to those. And if there's one in this service tonight that does not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and on Saturday night you're sitting in promised land, Missionary Baptist Church, and you're lost, and on the road to hell, I want to tell you, the last thing in the world you want to talk to God about is your sin. But it's the first thing that He wants to talk to you about. You want to have a relationship with God? You've got to deal with your sins. And He gives you that great invitation. You come to Me, He said. Come to Me. And though your sins are scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they'll be as wool. I'll cleanse you. You can indeed be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. 
And thank God tonight sinners plunged beneath that flood still lose all their guilty stains. And so from that perspective, those who are lost, those who are still in their sins, certainly if you're going to approach God, you need to do so. And the only way you can do so is under the blood of Jesus Christ that washes all your sins away. But then save people. And we understand Isaiah chapter 64 was written about God's people. James chapter 4 certainly written about God's people. And the simple fact that it is possible for us, even as God's people, as Christian people, those of us who have been saved, we have been born again. And yet it is possible for us to approach God in our righteousness. Thinking that we're okay. And yet... God would look at us and see us as filthy, unclean. And we look at it right here in our passage as James invites us to deal with some things as we draw near to God. And so there's four things that James presents here in our text tonight, and we're going to look at them very, very carefully uh, first of all, we are told simply to submit to God. But that passage is coupled up with something. Submit to God, resist the devil. Submit to God and resist the devil. So as we are drawing nigh to God under the promise that he will draw nigh to God, we're told, first of all, to submit to God. And that submitting to God is going to also mean that we're resisting the devil. Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. Those two things, whether we realize it or not, will always be found together. Always. Every time we submit to God, we are, in fact, resisting the devil. And every time we submit to God, we're going to be required to resist the devil. Because every time we say yes to God, we've said no to him. Every time we say yes to God, we can expect the devil to do everything in his power to pull us away from that act of obedience. That word submission is very powerful. It's a military term. It means literally to line up under, to arrange in order. And that is exactly what God is calling us to do in our life. It is all too easy for us to get somebody out of place. Now, in the part of the state that I grew up in, we called it the tail wagging the dog. We get the cart before the horse. We put ourselves sometimes out in front. We have our own plans, our own ideas of what life should be and what we want to do with it. And so we need to line up. We need to line up under God. But I want you to know tonight that there is a constant temptation for us also to submit to the wrong one and get these turned around. And find ourselves resisting God and submitting to the devil. We might not think that when we give in to that temptation that we've actually resisted God and submitted to the devil. We might not think when we do that sinful deed that we've actually resisted God and submitted to the devil. But that's what it is. And so right up front, if we're going to draw near to God, God is going to call on us to ask ourselves that question. Am I submitting to God? Have I lined up my life under God's plan and under God's program? Or are there areas of life 
that my will is totally, totally dominating. And God's will for me has been pushed to the sideline. Draw nigh to God, number one, means that we submit to God. And in that, we also resist the devil. Number two, drawing nigh to God is going to require us to deal with our sins. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. I'm not sure that James would be a real popular speaker in America today. I've often wondered if there would ever be a time where I had to stand before church and tell them, folks, now y'all have cried too much. It's time to straighten up. You say, well, such a thing has never happened. Yes, it has. Read the book of Nehemiah. And you will find that after that great Watergate revival, there came a time when they said, listen, this is a time of rejoicing. This is a time of feasting. You folks are going to have to stop repenting. You're going to have to stop mourning over your sins. You're going to have to stop grieving. You've grieved too long. You've cried enough. It's time to get happy and enjoy the Lord. Wow. i tell you what. James tells us right up front. There's a time for us to lament and weep and mourn over our sin. And I wonder, I've asked myself this question today. I've asked it this week as I prepared for tonight's message. I wonder really, when was the last time that you really wept over your sin? When was the last time that you found yourself on your face before God? Lamenting, mourning, and weeping over our sin. I'm reminded of the words of the... Uh, uh, old evangelist who said, you know, one of our big problems is is that we like to to sin uh, on the wholesale and confess on the retail or maybe even it the other way. <laughs> I'm not sure. But I know one thing. Uh, I know what he was trying to get across. He was trying to say that sometimes we just see, we go through a lot of sins and then at the end of a prayer we want to tack on, now Lord, forgive us of our sins. As if that's somehow going to cover everything. Where is the lamenting? Where's the weeping? Where's the brokenheartedness over our sin? James calls on us to cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. I think we need to understand that connection. When we talk about a gifted athlete, most of the time we're going to talk about how that they have great hand-to-eye coordination. Every gifted athlete, it doesn't matter if he's a baseball player, if he's a golfer, whatever it is, he has great hand-to-eye coordination. It is a gift. If you don't have it, you're not athletic. Amen? Right? Some people are amazing. I watched those guys on TV. One of, a professional golfer one time, he was sitting there with a, with a, a chipper in his hand, a, a, a pitching wedge. And he had a golf ball, and he picked that golf ball up off the ground with the pitching wedge and popped it up in the air and just sat there and dribbled that thing off his pitching wedge. 
Now, that kind of reminded me of that little rubber ball paddle thing that we had when I was a kid. And you know what? I never could make one of those things work. But I said, you know, I'm going to try that and do that. And I picked that, I picked it up and started. I couldn't do it. My 14-year-old son, who's now a 20, almost one-year-old Marine, uh, picked that putter up, picked that thing up, and started doing it. I mean, it took him that long to figure out how to do it. I can't do it till till yet. I can't do it right now, but he can do it. He didn't have to work at it. He didn't have to practice at it. Just say, how can you do it? He has incredible hand-to-eye coordination. And you see the really gifted athletes, and they've all got it. It's amazing when you see it happen. But let me tell you, spiritually, it's not hand-to-eye. It's hand-to-heart. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Because, you see, our hands are all about what we do. Our heart is about why we do it. And we do what we do because we are what we are. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But also we find all over the Scriptures that there's a connection between what we do and what's going on in our heart. Perhaps the classic passage that the Bible gives to us in the book of John where Jesus said, if you know these things, happy are ye if you what? Do them. If you know these things, happy, there's the heart connection, are ye if you do them. I know I need to quit. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. I know I need to do this. If you know these things, happier ye if you do them. There is a connection between the hand and the heart. And so God calls on us then to certainly cleanse our hands because we'll all have to admit there's some things that we've been doing that we probably shouldn't be doing. And if that's the case then there's some purifying of the heart that needs to be done as well. Lamenting, weeping, mourning, burdening our hearts before God. Number three, we want to draw near to God. Number one, that means submit to God. And the submitting to God is the resisting of the devil. Number two, deal with your sins. Cleanse your hands. Purify your heart. Number three, practice humility. Practice humility. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. What was the first sin that ever happened in God's universe? The sin of pride. Sin of pride. The book of Proverbs tells us that there are seven things that God hates. Hates. And you know what is number one on God's list? The proud look. You guys may not remember uh, the evangelist or preacher E.V. Hill. He pastored the Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California. Great black preacher. Uh, you may have heard him. One of his famous sermons is Hog Pen Trail. 
When one of the big televangelists went down in a time of great moral failure, I was sitting the next morning after that story break watching the morning news program, and they were interviewing several preachers. One of them was Evie Hill. Evie Hill didn't have much to say about this big televangelist that had the big moral failure. Everybody else, boy, they were slamming him up one side, down the other. Finally, finally, the interviewer spoke to Dr. Hill and he said, Dr. Hill, you had not said anything. What do you think about it? And he said, well, you just have, I can hear him till yet. Well, he said, the Bible says there's seven things that God hates. And sex ain't one of them. But pride is at the top of the list. And he said, I'm not condoning what our brother did. He failed. He failed terribly. But if we are lifted up in pride and condemning him, then we are doing something God hates. Hates. Pride. God resisteth the proud... That ought to be enough. But he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up. I'm thankful for the opportunity. I've had a visiting here in Promised Land, but I promise you, here at Promised Land, I would not have to be here very long before I could tell you who the real leaders are in this church. You know who they are? They're the people who get out and serve. You don't, you maybe not, you don't ever see them. They don't ask for any recognition. They just get out and quietly go about doing the Lord's work. When there's something that needs to be done, they're up here doing it. They don't ask for somebody to ask them. To, they don't wait for somebody to ask them to do it. They're not concerned about whether anybody pats them on the back or anybody even notices. They just do it. They become the, what I call the E.F. Hutton kind of people. They're the people that when they talk, they might not say much. But when they do have something to say, everybody listens. You know why that's the case? Because Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, one day put on a servant's towel and washed his disciples' feet. And he taught them. He said, the princes of the Gentiles exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Let the one who wants to be great chief among you be your servant. You want to be a leader in the Lord's work? Be a servant. Because in the Lord's work, the way up is down. It never stops. We never get to a place in the Lord's work where we can say, well, I've served enough. I don't have to serve anymore. Because you see, that servant's heart is what really qualifies us to be a leader. And if we've got that servant's heart, it never goes away. And we just keep serving. You say, why do we do that? Why? Because it's just the way that the Lord works in our life. The way He works in everybody's life. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He will exalt you in due time. There is never a surplus of people like this in the church. 
never too many. Sadly, there can be too few, but there's never too many. Humble yourselves. So as we're drawing nigh to God, what do we do? Well, we submit to the Lord. That's we line up under him. We submit ourselves unto him. As we do that, we're also resisting the devil. We deal with our sins. We cleanse our hands and our hearts because there's a connection between our hands and our hearts, what we do and who we are and what we are. And so we need to cleanse both. Weep and lament with brokenheartedness. Bring our sins, our burdens to God. Practice humility. And number four, last but certainly not least, be careful how you talk to each other and about each other. Now, I'll have to admit to you tonight, if I was making out this list of how to draw nigh to God, I probably wouldn't have put that one in the list. But God put it in the list. You see, it was the Lord Jesus who said, reminds us, inasmuch as you do this unto the least of one of these my disciples, you do it unto who? Me. We give a cup of cold water to somebody in Jesus' name. What does He say? You do it unto me. When He struck Saul down on the road to Damascus, Saul, you're persecuting my people. That ain't what he said. You're persecuting my church. That ain't what he said. Why persecutest thou me? We need to be careful if we're going to draw nigh to God. We need to think real seriously about how we're talking about one another. Do not speak evil of one another. In the uh, brethren, he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. Don't speak evil of one another. And it's not something that's just confined to James. You find it in several other New Testament passages. You've got the negative here. Don't do it. You have the positive. Uh, in uh, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it might minister grace unto the hearer. I've got a sneaking suspicion tonight that sometimes when we feel like that our prayers aren't getting through and we want to talk to God and we feel like God isn't listening, it may have something to do with the way we've been talking about His children. The way we've talked to others. Don't speak evil of one another, brethren. And another passage that the Lord put on my heart this week and just kind of dumped in my lap. I wasn't looking for it. You know, that happens, Brother Mike. You know, how, you know sometimes just all of a sudden, just something just, just drops in. And this one dropped in. It's Proverbs 26. And I'd encourage you to turn there. Now, I'm going to be reading out of the New King James, which makes it a little clearer, I think. But the Old King James is perfectly fine. Proverbs 26.
Verse 18, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. You ever just sit around the fellowship hall and listen to some of the things we say to each other and then say, oh, I was just kidding. Ah, it's just kidding. You know, a lot of times we're really not kidding. A lot of times we meant it just like it was. It was a firebrand. It was an arrow, a barb that we intended to hit and hurt. And if we think about that crazy person running around shooting arrows... Toward a crowd of people, knowing that he's going to hit somebody, maybe kill them. We think about a crazy person running around with a firebomb, throwing bombs into people's houses and starting fires. You say, man, they're nuts. Well, the Bible warns us about being the kind of deceiver that throws out those verbal arrows and those verbal firebombs. And then just kind of giggles. Oh, I was just joking. The Bible warns us, don't speak evil of one another. Now, there are times, I understand, this is what we call a disclaimer. (laughs) There are times, yes, when we kid and we poke fun, and we're poking fun and we really are, and we're kidding and we really are. And there's times when that really, really happens. There's times when we let it get out of hand. There's times when people get hurt. There's times when the devil just absolutely sets the tongue on fire and sees how big a mess that we can make. So when we're drawing nigh to God, what does that look like for us? Now, I want to, I really do. I, I, it's not just going to be something I want to sing about. I really do want a closer walk with the Lord. I, I want to draw nigh to God. It means that we submit to God by resisting the devil and drawing nigh to him. We deal with our sins. We practice humility. We be careful what we say about one another. But since this is deceptive, since it's possible for me to come to God and approach God thinking that I'm in my righteousness and yet God see me as these filthy rags, since it's possible for me to be all dirty and not even know it, what does it look like? Well, just the opposite of James chapter 4. When we are not drawing near to God, when we are spiritually stinky, when we are filthy, need to be cleansed. My will is supreme. Which makes me easy prey for the devil and isolated from the Lord. My sin is unchecked and unrepented of. I'll become prideful and self-asserting and I'll be vicious and cruel in my dealings with other people. That's what it looks like for us to be on the opposite end of the spectrum. When we have resisted God, rebelled against God, turned away from God. And we hear that great appeal, come now, come now. And let us reason together, saith the Lord. What about you tonight? 
Has the Lord, through this message, left a letter on your doorstep? Do you need to draw nigh to God? Brother Mark's going to come, and as he's coming, I want to remind you the words of an old hymn. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross. Where thou hast died, draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. Father God, draw us nearer tonight. Holy Spirit, you know exactly what that means in every person's life here. Draw us nearer. Lord, we don't want to come with our pseudo-righteousness, fooling ourselves, but never fooling you. Lord, we want to draw near in a way that would be pleasing unto you. Draw us near, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing tonight, Brother Mark leads us in this time of invitation. I'm going to encourage you to respond. Maybe you need to be saved. I can't plead with you any more than I already have of your need to approach God on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Receive him. If you don't know how you walk this aisle, we'd love to take God's word and show you right here how you can have everlasting life and receive sins forgiven. Be born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. We'll show you, not what I say, what Brother Michael says, but what the word of God says about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're as a child of God in this service tonight and you know that you drifted away from God, you respond. Maybe you need to come to this altar, spend some time before the Lord. You know and the Holy Spirit knows what you need to do. I just plead with you. You respond. Brother Mark, come lead us, please. Hymn number 44. draw you near. Oh.
Blessed.